Hi, I'm Erin. And I'm Kimona. And this is Rebels Advocate, the podcast where we break down the shit show that is the current social climate and reframe the radical. Let's get started. Hello, Erin. Hello, Kimona. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Have a full face of makeup on, feeling like a pre-quarantine human again so fancy i love it big fan thanks <laughs> really drying out here basically you just put some highlight on your nose so it like shines and then you're and then, glowing and then all of a sudden you get makeup <laughs> bam that's what it is also youtube videos big help yeah i don't watch those oh never mind just me yeah well no people do that I just, like, the, the only ones I ever do is, like, TikTok people who are, like, doing their makeup, mm. but they're, like, also talking about a story, not actually watching them do their makeup. I love that, and I think I kind of want to, like, start doing that, but with, like, yes. like, like little like, tidbits of, like, advocacy and activism, but we'll see. Yes. Maybe one day. Rebels, I let absolutely- me know if I should. <laughs> like, comment, subscribe, if she should. <laughs> Yes, all of the above, even though this is not a YouTube channel, but I support it. Listen, it's all the same. All right, <laughs> let's do the thing that we come here to do. And that's talk about the bullshit that is going on in the world. Never knew, just reframing it mm-hmm. <laughs> and talking about it in you know more digestible and topical ways. Um, And I think we've touched, this is definitely another one of those topics that we've touched upon probably every time that we talk. I mean, it's something that's really relevant and something that is very newsworthy, I'd say, that it's more often than not in the past couple of years, Mm -hmm. Um, police violence and police violence (laughs) is all over the news all the time. So let's talk about abolitionism and ACAB. Oh, I love talking about this stuff um, because I like to classify myself as a baby abolitionist uh, because I definitely don't know that much. Um, Well, like I know a decent like foundational amount, but I'm still very new to abolitionist spaces and the concept of abolition. Um, I would say that I only really started seeing and like educating myself about this last summer, honestly. So yeah, similar for me. I think, I think for a lot of people that the George Floyd protests and the launch of phrases and mantras like ACAB and defund the police really allowed a lot of the mainstream to be confronted and start dipping their toe in this abolitionist theory. Um, I I would agree that I'm not crazy familiar with it. Um, I definitely do not consider myself an expert in any way, shape or form, but baby abolitionist is definitely a good way to explain it because we're dipping our toe in the waters and, you know, trying to establish the differences between reform and completely starting over 
And I think that that is something that a lot of people aren't comfortable with and certainly not understanding. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So it's something that now that a lot more people are coming to terms with it and educating themselves and talking about it um, in this past year, like we are, we can start having these conversations and getting more people on board. Yeah. And I think abolition uh, is definitely a scary topic for a lot of people. It's it's because it's always terrifying to think, oh, we need to kind of we need to start over here. Um, and I get that. I see how that is terrifying. But I also like to challenge that a little bit um, in thinking of even just like the original use of the word abolition was in terms of the abolition of slavery. People didn't think that abolishing slavery was something that was possible. They would be met with questions like, well, what will the economy do? How will we function? Like, we can't end slavery. That's not feasible. That is not realistic. And then slavery ended and the world kept turning. Life goes on. Like, there are ways we get to choose as individuals, as a part of a society, what we uphold and what we value. And I think people struggle with that because it's really easy to be caught in the status quo and be like, well, this is how things are. There's no other way, but there is. And I think that's a really important foundational point to realize before even just diving into what abolition is, that we have the power to shape our society in the way that we want to. I think the feasibility of something like abolishing police forces is so, I think the reason people have such hard times with it is because they look at something like abolition um, as so black and white. Like, I I usually hear the types of counter arguments of, well, then who's going to help you when something happens? Like, yeah, if, if I just watched like a major crime occur, I would be dialing 911. Absolutely. Um, But the problem is the other option, if it's not abolition, is reform. And we are, and again, that's something that is much more digestible and palatable for especially white folks who don't as often see the dangerous side of policing um, because they're usually exempt from consequences, uh, especially when it comes to crime and uh, encounters with the police. But reform is just so far gone as a possibility when something is so deeply rooted in racism and all these institutional systems that are creating this toxic environment, there is no way to keep building on that because that that foundation is still there. I mean, the real root of policing in America comes from, you know, a force of people that were meant to capture slaves, slaves that had escaped. It was literally a force of people to enslave Mm -hmm. people of color. Um, And that's just the police force in the United States has just developed off of that route. And that cannot be forgotten. Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize that route as well, um, because when you're building off this concept of the slave patrol, of a group of people, of white people, 
going after black folk to bring them back into slavery because they're trying to escape the horrific treatment uh it really says a lot about the roots that we're building off of so first and foremost we see that this is meant to control people uh it's it's as and even black people were not considered while slaves were not considered to be human to be people so it's really built off this idea of control regarding property and i think that is something that's really important that people miss a lot um and I, I, I want to bring up the allude, not illusion. I'm at a loss for the word that I'm looking for yet again. Uh, <laughs> but metaphor, it's a metaphor. That's what it is. <laughs> the metaphor that people like to bring up when they talk about policing and the problems with policing is that, well, it's just one bad apple. When that's not what's happening here, what really is the issue is that we have a whole rotten tree and we are exceedingly lucky when it does produce a good apple. And that is extremely rare. And that's not the purpose of the tree. The tree is rotten, it produces bad apples. And in this way, it is a systemic issue. And that's why we need abolition. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy because there's, you know, it's hard because I I think something that, disheartens me and part of it part of my resistance to a cab is that you know there are good people out there there are people out there who join law enforcement because they want to fix it from the inside and i feel for those people deeply because there was a time in my life where i thought that would be something i wanted to do i thought i could fix the system from within but this phrase a cab is all cops are bastards. And I firmly believe in that. I, I'm not going to lie because you can't, it's not that every cop is a bad person. Every cop is a bad cop, but being a cop, being in law enforcement is so messed up that no matter who you are as an individual, you're still perpetuating these laws that are not equal you're perpetuating all of these harmful systems that are in place because of what your badge means, what the laws that you're enforcing. And just, I think people hear that and freak out because they're like, all cops aren't bad cops. And I totally think that's true. But all cops are part of a system that is bad. Yeah, I did a little research onto what does it even mean to say that something is is bastardized? Because a lot of people would be like, ACAB because the system is bastardized. Basically, it's this idea that the system is grossly corrupt. Grossly corrupt. And it is. And we have seen that time after time after time. That the system is the problem. And so, when someone says ACAB, they're not saying that that your cop friend or your dad who's a cop is a horrible person outside of work. Okay. Nobody's like arguing that like they can't have any emotional feel. Like we recognize that these are still humans perpetuating a system, but it is the fact that their job requires them to perpetuate a system, a system that looks at black and Brown people as less than a system that locks up people who look like me for the littlest of things. 
a system that takes traffic stops and turns them into death sentences. That system cannot be reformed. That system cannot be saved. And it's unfortunate, but we have to recognize that. And I think something that's also extremely important to recognize when looking at the term ACAB um, is that if you talk to people who have been in the police force, who have left or have even felt that they were pushed out, it is often because they tried to uphold this idea of the good cop. And that because of the way the system works, the good cop is not rewarded. The good cop is pushed out or forced to become bad. And that is the problem that we are trying to deal with. Absolutely. Um, Another thing that I think holds people back from understanding the need for abolition is that there are cops of color. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think that is definitely a hard thing to tackle because there's a lot of issues within that, that those people could certainly fall into that category of wanting to reframe and reform the system from within again. Um, But also there's a level of trying to, (laughs) I'm trying to find the right word, you know, trying to, appease the white man and just be part of the system it's easier to protect yourself and the people around you when you're the person of color that's good the white people like them um and we've talked about that before and i think that's definitely something to consider when you're thinking why is this person of color a cop why are they still here Um, and I'm curious, Kamona, what you think about that. It is definitely a difficult issue because I like have family friends who are black men who are cops. And it's really interesting because there is a conflict there, um, at times because, you know, we see police brutality, which mostly affects black people and like particularly has a media focus on black men. Uh, but at the same time, like you have to do your job. And I think it also, it speaks to the, I don't want to say the bigger issue, but a larger framework perhaps is a way to look at it of how all of these systems of oppression are interconnected. And particularly I think about, you know, capitalism and how we need jobs to survive. And I know people who get into policing thinking that they can, you know, change it from the inside, but then once they're there, even if they've realized that this is not going to work the way I thought it was, they're kind of stuck. Because if you leave, you lose your health care. If you have a family to take care of, like that's, that's really important. Like these are very important things that are tied to a job and that's done intentionally. But I think it's also important for people who are in those positions to maybe take a moment and like consider, you know, if you have the means to leave, maybe do that. <laughs> <laughs> if you have the the privilege to be able to get out, uh, I would I would consider taking that option. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you made the the comparison to capitalism because that's true. Like, there's plenty of us who go around being like, I hate capitalism, I hate capitalism, I hate capitalism. Yet we're very part of it. But that's because that's what you need to do to survive right now. Mm-hmm. Like, just be. It doesn't make you a hypocrite necessarily 
you know, we're all here just trying to survive. Exactly. um, I do want to just, for people that are maybe having a hard time digesting this whole concept and for perhaps people who haven't really seen, like they can't conceptualize how messed up the system is. Um, In specifics, there's, you know, two very topical events that are going on right now, both Dante Wright um, from who is shot and killed by a female police officer in the Minnesota PD and uh, Adam Toledo, who is a 13 year old boy who was shot and killed by the Chicago PD, um, both without any kind of rationale. Um, But I did compile just a small list of at least the names that you may be familiar with to kind of put it all out there of how the approach to white criminals versus people of color who may not have even committed a crime, um, how, you know, just existing while black, just existing as a person of color can be a death sentence. Whereas you can be a literal mass shooter or serial killer and just be calmly taken away, very little incident. Um, So for some of those reasons, and this is a small trigger warning that I will just be mentioning some of these people's names. Um, Dante Wright was killed because he had an air freshener in his car. George Floyd was killed over a $20 bill. Trayvon Martin was killed over Skittles. Tamir Rice was killed over a toy gun. And then there's Breonna Taylor, who was literally asleep. Um, And I can't see the rest of my notes because some reason the (laughs) the, uh, Google Doc formatted really strangely and I can't see farther. Oh, that's Um, so odd. I was, I just want to mention all these people. (laughs) I mean, you Uh, also have on the list Ahmed Arbery, who was killed while running, um, literally went for a run. Uh, and then there are so many other names, uh, Sandra Bland, Freddie Gray, Michelle Cusseau, uh, Eric Garner, Mike Brown, Megan Hockaday. Like the list goes on and on and on. Thank you for listing my list that I no longer can see. Of course, I got you. <laughs> uh, well, and in that same vein, there's, um, come on, you're going to have to read some of my list again mm-hmm. for me. I got you, <laughs> Some of these incidences where there's literal white murderers who are taken into custody without any incident are people like Kyle Rittenhouse, the Kenosha shootings, young mm-hmm. white boy who just killed people. Took in the a firearm across state lines. Absolutely. He's um, a lot there. Uh, Robert Aaron Long, uh, he is the individual who committed the Atlanta mass shootings in all the massage parlors. Um, you may continue my list now, Kimona. <laughs> and then we have Greg and Travis McMichaels, who killed Ahmed Arbery, uh, James Holmes, the Aurora shooter. These are, like you were saying, these people committed a murder. We knew that they had committed a murder or mass murders in advance. And they were taken into custody without facing any harm, which shows Uh, it's possible. 
<laughs> exactly. People who are extremely violent, you know, and that's one of the things that people uh, tend to say, like if someone does have a weapon or you shouldn't have run from the police, all of these white men had weapons and, you know, had already killed people and proven that they were violent and you were able to restrain them and bring them into custody without any issue. So clearly that is not the actual rationale. Um, and I just want to say as like a mild disclaimer that I'm not in the habit of liking to say the names of murderers and uh, people that have taken another's life. Um, however, I do think it is important in the context of this podcast so that you are able to further your education, that if you aren't familiar with these instances, um, that you can be like, oh, I should Google that and they could look that up, um, which would also be in our resources list of some of these um, instances and some of these things that you can have some follow up with, but not in the habit to really like to say those names um, rather than the people who have lost their life or like I said, just being a person of color. Um, and you may have noticed that the people that I've listed are not all people that were killed by the police. Um, most of them are, but they, it is to go again to say that like a lot of these people commit these crimes and get away with a much more lenient sentence. Whereas, um, you know, the victims of police brutality are often confronted with little to no crime or any semblance of violence and then lose their life as a result. And some of that list is also from the Dr. Crenshaw, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw TED talk that I referred to in our Kimberly Crenshaw episode that I will reference um, in our, res uh, our resources and our notes. Yeah, I think it also speaks to the fact that when we talk about abolition, um, it's really about the, it's more than just the police. It's the whole system. Um, and so recently I've started reading um, this wonderful new book. It's called We Do This Till We Free Us uh, by Mariam Kaba. It's really eye-opening. Um, and like it, it's so far really easy read um, and just like outlines so much basic stuff about abolition and then, you know, what to do with that information. Um, and literally on the second page of the book, she defines abolition as, uh, well, she writes, prison industrial complex abolition is a political vision, a structural analysis of oppression and a practical organizing strategy. And so the conversation around abolition isn't just around policing and police brutality. Yes, that's a very important part of it, but it's about this larger system, the prison industrial complex, which is basically the way that prisons work in America is wild. We have so many private prisons, largely because it is a way to increase profit for businesses because they can use prison labor, which prisoners get paid like sometimes less than a dollar an hour uh, for the labor that they do uh, for various companies. Um, and a great resource for that um, is... Well, Angela Davis in general, wonderful resource. Her She's the best. Like, we'll have to do an episode dedicated to her. Sometime. Yeah, absolutely. She's phenomenal. She, the specific uh, book that I have read snippets of is um, Are Prisons Obsolete? 
And she describes, I think the first or second chapter of that is where she just describes the prison industrial complex in America and like how prisons just started popping up everywhere in the seventies. So that's a really interesting read. It provides more background on that, but like, I think it's important to understand abolition in this context of really focusing on systemic issues and changing the system. Because if you focus too much on just policing, then you get a lot of this, these really, um, what about ism questions? Like, what, what do we do with, with the really violent people? What do we do with this, that, and the other thing? Like, yes, those are valid and people are finding ways to address those issues within this framework. But we also have to remember that this is about re-envisioning our society because the one that we currently have is not working right. It's not doing the things it's supposed to be doing. And we need to take all of these resources that we're putting into the prison industrial complex, into policing, into the militarization of police and invest it in communities because a lot can be solved with preventative care. Absolutely. And I think that kind of goes into the conversation of defunding the police where people are very interested. And I think that if you're approaching this conversation for the first time of really, where do you fall? What do you believe? And you're inclined to agree with a lot of what Kimona and I are saying, but abolition is a little too far for you. I encourage you to educate yourself on the concept of defunding the police, because that of course is the simplest goal. Um, You're not going to just go from zero to 100 in a day. Um, But the purpose of defunding the police is that there is far too much money of our tax-paying dollars going towards um, militarization and policing in this country. Um, and it infuriates me. Uh, I like just even thinking about the money that goes to the military. Whew. Um, but alas, the concept of defunding the police is really re- reallocating these resources so that the first person you call in certain instances isn't always a police officer who has minimal training um, and sometimes no training in certain instances that they are brought onto the scene for. For example, a lot of mental health cases where perhaps you have a violent person because they are uh, mentally disabled and have maybe autism that relates to violence or a psychotic breakdown, Mm -hmm. these people should not be approached by people with no mental health resources and no ability to not, and I don't want to say restrain because you really shouldn't be going to restrain, but like to calm these people, to Mm -hmm. allow these people to be brought somewhere safe and keep the people around them safe as well. And therefore being brought to resources that can help them get them medicated, get them therapy, things like that. And there's so many instances that you may call the police or someone may call the police because they hear a lot of noise or a lot of violence, whatever they think is uh, occurring. The police are called and the police are not always equipped, if ever, (laughs) to handle some of these situations. And a lot of people who believe in defunding the police are really interested in allocating these resources and this funding to other parts of the community that require um, the attention, like social workers and therapists are some of those instances that are 
people that would benefit from funding and definitely save lives in the process. That is so important. Um, I'd also, I also want to highlight that uh, I don't have the exact statistic pulled up in front of me. I looked for it, cannot find it, but it's somewhere around 50% of those murdered by police um, are people who are disabled. So that's like a really big issue because that's just another way that these disparities are intersectional. Um, and it, it's just, it's problematic because, you know, police, I, there's a really good graphic. I'll see if I can find it and link it to our notes where it shows that we are putting so much on the shoulders of police officers. Uh, we're expecting them to handle noise complaints, do traffic stops, uh, to de-escalate crisis situations, um, to handle domestic violence, to be able to handle child abuse and know what to do after that. Like there are so many tasks that we allot to the police and there is no way in hell that they can be properly trained for all of that. It's just just too much to put on one group of people. Um, And it's a burden that they shouldn't have to carry. Exactly, which is also why, I mean, in like the concept of defunding the police in my head, if I was a police officer, I would be like pro defund me because then my yeah. job is less aggressive uh, and there's less things that I have to take care of. A great example of this is um, I think recently in, I want to say it was New York. I don't know if they've, how the implementation has actually gone because uh, I have not followed up, but I did see that they had decided to have mental health uh, professionals begin responding to crisis calls that are about mental health issues. Uh, something as simple as that is super important because if you are trained to one de-escalate a situation and handle mental health issues, you're going to have a much better outcome than someone who's just trained to go in guns a blazing. And that's, that's what happens. Um, and then I also want to point out the various ways that we can look at defunding the police and where that money can go. Um, and so one, I just need to, it's really important to understand that like, if you look at a list of where military budgets are being spent, like overall, like worldwide, you have the U S I believe it's China next. And then it's the U S police force. So like top three spending positions, two of them are taken up by America, by the United States. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Where else could that money go? Because I, I know people sometimes are like, well, where do you, would you put it? Okay, well, we can increase access to healthcare. We can improve neighborhood infrastructures. We can invest in community nonprofits. We can invest in early childhood education, free pre-K, uh, having childcare. We can restore like vacant land that's just being like gross and like unused. Make it a fun little community park, make it a little community center, things like that. We can invest in the youth, whether that's summer programs, after school programs, and we can invest in violence interruption programs. Like these are very important things that we can do that are actionable items that we can see where the money is going that are proven, like there are studies done that show that increased access to these things reduces crime in communities because the communities that are safest are not the ones with the most police. It's not because they have police roaming around 24 seven. It's the communities that have access to the most resources to lift themselves up when they need to. 
Yeah, I was going to mention something similar as well, just like from a psychological perspective, because that is my background, that these are preventative measures to reduce crime um, that makes the world a safer place because most people don't go to crime because they're interested in hurting people. A lot of people are forced into crime because of poverty, drug addiction, mental health. Like, there is a drug crisis in this country. There is a mental health crisis in this country. And combating these issues is should be the primary goal. Um, and there are a lot of countries, and people have a hard time seeing outside of America. There are plenty of Western countries, developed countries, that handle crime far better than we do. They focus on rehabilitation and giving, you know, basic human rights to criminals. I mean, I get the feeling like, trust me, I am very interested in like true crime-esque things and I'm a big advocate for victims of various issues. And like, there are people out there who are just truly horrible murderers, killers, who rapists, who I don't want to see have like a good time in jail. But there's so many people who are in prison for minor, minor things, nonviolent things that are being treated less than animals. And it's just unacceptable. And these private prisons are benefiting by having cops arrest people for minor, minor um, infractions that these laws, like most of us wouldn't even agree with are necessary. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we're seeing small movements in that way of like decriminalizing drugs and, you know, trying to combat that, but the small things need to accumulate faster. (laughs) You know, we often advocate here for being like, yes, small is good. Small is good. And that's, that's true. It's better than nothing, but there are so many different, um, ways that this can, can be can be combated in small doses simultaneously. So approaching those prisons, um, eliminating private prison practices to begin with, you know, increasing wages provided to prisoners, you know, providing uh, funding and resources to communities that need it and who are at most risk for crime. And, you know, for God's sake, just training police officers a little better you know most jobs and most things require a hefty amount of education a lot of us are realizing we need just a master's to get into entry level of Mm. our fields why (laughs) is that not a thing for cops why can they just do some hours and you're good to hold a weapon and you know be able to take someone's life without consequence I mean, I was abroad in London and I distinctively remember that a like cop came in and was like, hey, these are the rules here, like behave. And they don't even carry any guns. You have to have a special like license as a cop to be able to carry a firearm. They, and you're not allowed to carry as like a citizen Like, just a regular person can't carry pepper spray because that's the weapon that they use to, like, de-escalate violence. Mm 
as the police. Another and they're example. doing all right. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. And I'm not saying their system's perfect, but like, it's not like London has so much more problems than New York City because their cops don't have firearms. Right. I think that's like a really good way to like ease yourself into the comparison of like looking at other ways that societies can function and thinking about what can be done because like we don't have to have the system that we currently have it's not just because things are a certain way doesn't mean that it's the right and doesn't mean that it's the right way to do things and we've seen time and time again that it's this doesn't work like we've tried police reforms we have increased funding to police to give them better trainings to reform this and that to give them like a fancy taser so they can use that instead and it's not working they've had years and years and years and years and years to prove themselves and we see that the pattern continues and that even in cases where where guns aren't used there's still an issue of violence well i mean apparently they can't tell the difference between a taser and a gun that too so you know really lovely to hear uh which is also just okay look Absolutely not. You don't I, get this confused. I don't understand how that's just like a fine thing to say because like if you're a nurse or a doctor and you like get some needles mixed up, you're like, ah, darn, I thought I was giving him this medicine. I gave him that one that stopped his heart. Whoops. You don't get to just get away with that. There are consequences. You got to walk away. You don't get to be a doctor anymore. I just don't like you just think there's something wrong with policing because it seems to be outside of all other logic right now. Also, I just don't like the argument of being like, she's so stupid like she shouldn't be able to do this like that's the arguments of like pro cops that actually have good intentions but that don't work for me because you're not no one's that stupid that's not a mistake it's just not i'm sorry i firmly believe that that's just straight intentional murder i would i yeah I mean, I I wouldn't argue with that because at this point from just, you know, the track record that the system of policing has, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you don't get to kill a 13-year-old boy, an unarmed 13-year-old boy, and be like, I was so scared for my life. He's so violent. When these same types of cops, obviously these aren't all the same people, but the same system, the same job. You know, then there you let someone like Kyle Rittenhouse walk around with a automated weapon and let me grab his hand and take him to like, I just don't understand how like now I went from being like all positive and be like, let me educate you. Now I'm just pissed. <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. Yeah. Get on board. A lot of this does come out of anger. And like, I've, I, not to pat myself on the back, but I think I've done a very good job of being very, just like explaining what this whole, what abolition means. But yeah. I'm just going to send like this to anyone, anytime they want to ask me about abolition, because I tend to get very heated when I talk to people face to face about this. Because yeah, it's like, hard not to. What aren't you getting? The system is the system isn't even broken it is designed to work in a disproportional way it is designed to negatively affect people why aren't we changing broken. it it's it's doing what it's designed to do that's the 
theme here in all these issues, the issues we have with higher education that we talked about last week. You know, these issues are all because these systems are created for this to happen. It's not broken. It was created and rooted in problems. Reform is no longer an option. And, you know, we were doing real good for over a half hour being calm. But then I start thinking about people like this who have lost their lives. A 20-year-old who has a kid was just murdered for the stupidest reason by a cop. A 13-year-old was just murdered for the stupidest reason by a cop. These kids have a whole life ahead of them and their crime is being alive while black or of color, (laughs) of any variation. And it just, it's infuriating. It's emotional. It's sad. And, you know, we have the right, especially if you're a person of color, to have these emotions. And, you know, it's not anyone's duty to think about these things and just be level-headed. We can't do that. But what we need to do Let's have these emotions and then get back to work. That's what we do. And, you know, I I have the privilege of being able to say these things as a white woman. And I, I just want to encourage, especially our listeners of color, that you are entitled to have these feelings and you are absolutely valid in everything that you're feeling and that, you have no responsibility to defend yourself or explain yourself, especially to a white person. It's our job now as a community of anyone who wants to stop police brutality and, you know, continue on this path of abolition that we feel and then we get back to work mm-hmm. and we advocate and we have these conversations and we do whatever we can as just mundane, normal people. And, you know, let it be the fire in us. I encourage everyone who is interested in abolition and becoming an abolitionist to look into ways that you can live live out abolition in the in your day-to-day life. That's something that I've been trying to do a lot recently. And I, I find a lot of like joy and peace in that, knowing that I, as my one individual, I'm doing the most that I can in this moment. And even when the systems are doing everything in their power to crush me, to crush my community, that I am doing the most that I can right now to rebel against them. And there are a lot of little ways to do that. Uh, just like, okay, first and foremost, um, black people experiencing joy and happiness, uh, just allow yourself some time to be happy, to spend time with your family, to experience joy, because we are living within a system that wants us to suffer and to be upset and to be exhausted and to be lonely and to just succumb to it. You are allowed to experience joy. Make sure you're doing that. And then also just like, Abolition as a framework is really this radical acceptance, this radical view of the necessity and the, the, the goodness in every human. This idea that 
everyone matters and together we can do something as a collective we can make it so that we live in a society where everyone actually matters you know um it's more positive than good we're not here trying to say that every cop is a bad person and that you know you can't trust anybody or whatever we're trying to say that we need to get rid of this system to perpetuate positivity and good things. Like Kimona said, okay. every person matters and the system that we're in right now does not allow that to exist. It allows people to pit against each other and allows white people to flourish and for people of color to lose their lives. And it's just unacceptable. Um, and if you don't usually refer to our website for resources and show notes. This is definitely a good one to do that because we have a lot of links and follow up and, you know, finding the book that Kimona's reading and finding the TED talk I'm referring to. There's a lot of resource that, resources that we've compiled and a reference that you can use as a basic starting tool. I encourage you guys to, to look into it, to do the work. Um, and we're still learning. We yeah. are. Like we said, we're baby abolitionists. I'm educating myself because I I have an okay foundation, but there's always more to learn. There are more difficult questions that always have to be answered, and I'm seeking them out too. I'm here, we're here on this journey with you guys. So come with us. Be a baby abolitionist with us. You know, just your everyday rebels advocate. So uh, that's it from us for today, even though, you know, we could go on forever. That's kind of our whole deal. Um, and basically at the foundation of our whole friendship. So it truly but, is. You know the drill. You guys are friends by now. Um, <laughs> but Kimona, tell them, tell the folks where they can find us. You can find us at Rebels Advocate Pod on Instagram, at Rebels ADV Pod on Twitter, and at rebelsadvocatepod.wordpress.com for the show notes. Ooh, look at her saying it so well and not questioning herself. I'm getting good at this, Erin. <laughs> she did it. Oh, my goodness. Well, we love talking to you. So make sure to follow us and start having those conversations. And stay tuned for next week's episode of The People's Pod. Because we're starting to answer questions from you. So Check out our Twitter and our Instagram for polls and options to give us some questions and conversations you want to have. So we will see you back here next Tuesday and every Tuesday. Bye. See ya.